Hello, Rachel. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm at, I'm, I'm at ease. Would you say you're in a meditative state? Are you just calm, <laughs> serene? Are you close. Have you lowered the amount of oxygen intake that you have? We need it for at least a couple no. of hours of survival. No, like, I know that we've soundproofed the podcast room. Yes, we have. But we haven't made it airtight. Well, I've got a surprising piece of news for you, Rachel. To keep our episodes under a certain length, I've now removed an amount of oxygen from the room, so we need to keep precise, and we need to get into the heart of the matter, which is we are a married couple who reviews episodes of science fiction television one at a time. We are called Yum Yum because Rachel really loved a line of dialogue from Star no, Trek. No, Sorry, no, Rachel, no, don't waste no. it, don't waste it. I will, um, I will, I will, I will. Here I she will goes, guys. spend my air wisely <laughs> saying, no, Ryan picked the name of the podcast because he became obsessed with that moment in Star Trek Discovery where an individual says yum yum when asked, hey, you want to go kill a guy? And she licked her lips when she said it, threw her hair back, and it was such a wild moment that we embrace it. People have actually said, you don't need to explain it anymore. You don't need to go over yum yum because we know what it is. But guess what? There are those folks out there who do not know. There are those guests out there who do not know. And so we explain it because, in a way, we still don't know ourselves. Why did that happen? Why was that allowed? Why is... Oscar-winning actress Michelle Yeoh in that scene. Fun fact, she won an Oscar as soon as she stopped doing Star Trek Discovery. Literally, as soon as she stopped doing it, she went on to a project that won her an Academy Award. And so, am I saying Star Trek Discovery held her back? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. And we are reviewing episodes of Babylon 5, a series near and dear to our hearts. It's a show that we have seen before, so we are re-watching it, revisiting it, and reviewing it, which means there are spoilers, but we're in the final days of the series, so you have no one else to blame but yourself to watch the remaining handful of episodes to understand all of our quick-witted jabs about the one we are talking over today. But we're not alone, are we, Rachel? No. I can read the episode title, and it says it's featuring a person called, like, Willie, Billy, Tilly? I don't know. I can't read. I'm actually dyslexic. I'm not actually. Billy Bob Brooks. Billy Bob Brooks is in the house. We're joined by our good friend, uh, Will. How are you doing? Hello. Hello. I'm good. I'm good. You are good? I, 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 but I, I, are you ever bad? I mean, everyone's bad sometimes. Uh, yeah, have you have you ever gone through ranger training and got a scar on your face because you've just been you're just being too emo for yourself? No, I've not been too hardcore or too stone cold in training. I don't think. In what moment in your life would you say was your darkest? When was Will in edge lord mode? Oh, when was Will in edge lord mode? I'm not the edgiest person in the world. 
I don't know, everyone, every, doesn't everyone go through a bit edgy in high school? I don't know. Yeah. Probably everyone's, probably everyone's a bit edgy in high school. Will's, you try at some yeah. point. Your your version of an edgelord is, one time I didn't say bye-bye to my papa, and that was real bad of me. And that I'll never was pretty edgy. It was, it was pretty edgy. When I walked out, I did not say love you to my mother, and that was a real shame on my part. How could I? <laughs> then you put your big headphones on, and you listen to nothing. Thing, but uh, you know your emo bands of the day, Rachel. You were far more into that scene of music than I. Uh, w- yeah. What would Will listen to if he, after not saying "I love you" to his mother, what band would he play? What oh, one? I Is think it- he would be pretty still, like soft core. So maybe, maybe just the My Chemical Romance, because lots of angst, but not too metal. What about Panic at the Disco? I, I feel like that's. Too ethereal for hardcore. But Will is an ethereal man. Yes. Hence, we have brought you back on for the podcast, Will. It's a great but pleasure to have you back edgelord here. Edgelord mode. But Will's not version early of- Will, Not early Panic at the Disco stuff. I was going to say, is Panic at the Disco not considered to be for preteen edgy kids? Who are they for? It's <laughs> too twee to be edgy. Okay, sure. I'll take your word. I'm not a panic fan. Everyone, direct your emails over to yumyumpod at gmail.com to let us know where you think Panic at the Disco falls on the spectrum. Nine in the afternoon. Like... But let's uh, talk to our good friend over here, Will. We had you on for a season four discussion last, and now you're here to talk with us about a season five episode of B5. But give everyone a little bit of a refresher about your relationship and your connection to Babylon 5. Did you grow up with this? Is this something you watched recently? And uh, give us the rundown again. Oh, well, it's not too complicated. This is, like, it's a show I'd heard of for quite a bit. And my dad had watched some of it when it was on originally. So it may have even been on in the house at certain points. But he couldn't, he was just too busy at the time it was originally airing. So my dad just didn't um, commit to it. And then when you uh, gave us the lot on... um, Gave us the lot, Ryan. We watched it uh, together with my dad, and we had a really good time. You bonded over it. You 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 both held hands and said, "I hope I hope Lanier is not going to be an incel in the final season." <laughs> when you started the show and found out, hey, that's the boy from Lost in Space. Surely he won't be an incel in the final season. He's just a nice guy, not that type of nice guy, of course. Oh, he's got a scar now, and he wears all black. I'm sure he's fine. He's in a uniform. He's meditating and talking about meditating. We are actually going over episode 14 of season 5, Meditations on the Abyss. And the DVD description is beautifully... How does JMS sum this one up? It is beautifully summed up as such. Delenn violates the chain of command by sending Lanier on a covert mission to find out who's behind the attacks on Alliance shipping. Jakar copes with his emergence as a cult hero. All our holy books are reproduced exactly as written. Line for line, word for word, right down to the flaws in the paper. The circular stain is a coffee stain left by Mr. Garibaldi. When I confronted him with it, he said it's the best part of the book.
Uh, when it comes to Yum Yum, it was a moment in Star Trek Discovery, as said, that was absurd, it was humorous, it was funny, but it was also sexual. Did you know that, Will? That it's sexual? So Yum Yum was was about murder and it was also it was also hot and heavy, was it? I mean, the phrase yum yum when said breathily and licking your lips, doesn't it just have a vibe to it? If I just said to you... Suppose so. If you just said to me casually a random thing like, oh, how are you doing, Ryan? And I just went, yum yum. <laughs> you would be like, oh, okay. That's a little bit uh, not on not on for a Sunday morning. You know, that type of thing. Like you would be like, hey, Ryan, keep it in your pants. And so we like to look at the characters in B5 and wonder who could have said yum yum because it's not just sexual it's not just funny it's not just random but there's an overall energy to it that we call yum yum energy and will you're our guest so we'll hear from you first in meditations on the abyss who is the character who could have said yum yum if joe michael straczynski was not a coward and didn't put it in um, I'm of two minds of who could have said it. Maybe Jakar, when he's in his little um Bible study group and he's just so exasperated by them not getting it. Instead of going with the river one, he could have gone yum yum. And they would have clapped even louder. That would have gotten an even greater reaction. And then maybe, I for- sorry, I forget his name, but the captain of the Maria. Montoya. I remember his ship's name, his yes. sister's name. Yes, Enrico um, Montoya. He, like, he was a hard ass for a lot of this episode, but he had his little playman, playful moments. He might have said yum yum. Oh. I'm not sure in what context. I'm not sure in what context you'd ever say. But <laughs> he might have said it at he some point. He did say Easter egg know. hunt and didn't give the Minbari context for what any of that means. He, he just assumes, hey, you know, I know your religious stuff. You should know mine. Uh, Rachel, yes, because Easter egg hunt are religious, but it's really, but Easter, you know what I mean? It, yeah, Easter itself, but egg hunts. Well, I did Easter egg hunts for Easter. I've never done them outside of Easter. Sorry, sorry, it's not my fault. I didn't create the tradition. I just enacted upon myself. You're wasting air, honey. You literally stopped me from asking you who would be yum yum sayer in this episode. And so I say Franklin. Franklin. Wow. Why? I see him saying it when he like shrugs at Jakar, like, what are you going to do? I see him being like, yum yum. Will made a great point for uh, the captain. Uh, he was in my list, but then I went through the episode. The captain's I, I, I an looked. Easy pick. I looked at the characters who featured very, very, very much, and I realized there's there's one person for me, and his name is Michael Alfredo Garibaldi in the final scene of the episode, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. in which he is drunk, but he is delivering yum yum energy. But I think we've all picked great options, Franklin. Especially when he's standing in on the uh, the sermon that Jakar is giving at the end when they all leave and he gives like this smile and he throws his hands up in the air like, oh boy, that was crazy. He could have jabbed it a little yum yum Jakar and then you know, the captain, he could have said it. And I want to give a special shout out to um, the Minbari ranger in training, Fendel. He also yeah. had sweaty YYE where he could have said it in a stressful moment rather than in a fun, playful moment. 
Meditations on the Abyss, Rachel, what are your thoughts on this episode? What's been your history with it? Has this one fared in the mind as well as others? I like the content, not the context. I enjoy what happens in this episode, aside from the context of Linear being an incel. I just, I don't like it. I don't want it. I I want it erased. I, I want that removed. You want it out of your narrative, mm-hmm. even though it is the narrative. Yes, but like if it was like just that part was just cut out, the scenes were played a little bit different because it's a lot of subtext. It's not like... Linear's like, I love you and you'll never love me. Mm. Uh, it doesn't go fully there, but it it's as close as Babylon 5 gets to that. I always give this episode a lot more shit than it actually deserves. In my recollection, I think of this as a very boring episode, as one that does not stack up particularly well in comparison to others. Another and gimmick episode of sorts, because it's yeah. like, it's... Linear and Jakar. Yeah, I guess I don't look at it as a gimmick episode. I more look at it as uh, similar to some of the others of season five, in which it's a slow burn approach to a character study and it is weaving ever so lightly into the overarching narrative, which in this case is the Alliance shipping line attacks. But another episode without Lockley. I really enjoy this episode when I actually do sit down and watch it. It has a very playful attitude. It has a lot of heavy material, especially with Lanier, but even in that, the captain and the other ranger and all of the people in Jakar's story, all of Londo's stuff, there's a real permission to just have fun. Londo's cracking wise about the Drazi, Veer is going off the chain with a sword. It just It's just a really delightful episode, and I think this one is an improvement of uh, similar stories we've seen in this season, like with the two Minbari rangers that visited Babylon 5 earlier in the season. I feel like this is a better version of that episode, in which one of the rangers this time is actually a character we know. It's Lanier, and I think this does a greater job of establishing why we would even want a story following the rangers rather than our crew on Babylon 5. The actual command staff of B5 are not in this episode all that much. They have a dinner scene, they're they're sprinkled in here and there, but I didn't miss them like I do in other season 5 episodes in which Sheridan or Delenn, or Franklin, or Garibaldi aren't as prevalent. Uh, for for you, Will, I, I wanted you to come on for a Season 5 episode, and I thought this could be a good one because it follows through on some of the Jakar stuff we talked about with you last time. Last time, he was offered to be the leader of his people, and then he rejected it, and now here he is again having to be a spiritual leader, but also I was keen to know your opinions on the Lanier uh, uh, storyline as it went along, because we haven't in our private time talked about it all that much, but what are your thoughts and feelings and your overall connection to Meditations on the Abyss? Um, well, this episode, it's like, actually, looking back on it, when I re-watched it on Thursday night, I, watched, I re-watched it twice, 
for the podcast. I was actually surprised because I remembered this storyline where Lanier is um well, his life's falling apart and he goes to the training with Findel and they um are uh, left out there to test them. And I remembered the Jakar stuff where he's um frustrated with his spiritual role and I remember the eye thing with Jakar where he gets his new eye back. But I'd actually forgotten that these were the same episode because I, I'm, I'm actually really quite fond of um I, after all the crazy brutal stuff Jakar has been through he still lets him have his little still lets himself have his little drama queen moments where it's like my eyes don't match and he's just so just so genuinely openly pleased that they like finally match again I yeah. really enjoyed that one the Lanier plot I I get what Rachel's saying where it's like this is like it's kind of an unpleasant plot line because it's like you like Lanier you don't you don't want to see his life go in this direction it's just it's it's a a, a derailing train quality to it yeah yeah and he's the type of uh person that is deeply deeply uncomfortable in the real world and so when you have it in your narrative it's not as if he's the the romantic tragic hero of marcus instead he's a creep <laughs> is how it is emphasized in the show. Like, the show doesn't condone him. No. Uh, Everyone in the narrative that knows about what Lanier is says it's bad. And yet we are still having to watch for three seasons Lanier still keep doing it. And it's just... Even Morden, who was dead at the time... (laughs) ...could see that it was a horrible idea. And yet it just goes on. Uh, Will brought up a, a really brilliant point about Jakar that I, I like as well, which is we have him go through this religious awakening. He's been through a trial of fire. He's gone through so much, and yet the narrative can still afford him those moments of flamboyancy, those moments of just being a prissy little bitch, being a little drama queen, being a trickster. We've had him be the bodyguard to Londo because he thought it would be really funny. That was the reason he wanted to be a bodyguard for Londo was it would be really funny if I did that. And the eye comment in which he is really uh, unsettled by the fact he doesn't have matching eyes. It's not my color. And one of the beats of this is he gets a new eye. He gets his he gets his matching red eye again. And I the love prop it. work in that scene is awesome. Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. They have, obviously, they've they've made a, a bust of Jakar's head. Like, it's probably one of the masks that they have, and they have one eye closed, and they have, like, a fake eye in there, and, and Franklin's just ripping the eye out. But it looks great. It looks, it looks good. looks great. And there's just a bit of voiceover of, like, oh. Yeah, and and they have certain shots where they cut to and it's actually the actor there and certain ones where it's not. And it's pretty seamless at times of which one is real and which one isn't. They they, they do a good job of of balancing that. But uh, for yourself, Rachel, this Jakar side of it is just a real slice of life story. It has a great... Yeah, it's just like, where's Jakar at? Um, And we get the sense that... He is very much still grappling with his status and annoyed at, at the nuns being where they are at in their journey. 
because he's trying to help them stand up, get on their own two feet and see things more clearly, but they are not at that stage where they're ready to let go of the old view. I talk, they ask questions, I don't think anything gets resolved. Well, I'd, I'd like to come and sit in on if you don't mind. As you wish. You have given me back my sight. The least I can do in return is share a little of my confusion. Franklin wants to be his friend, wants to sit in and hear all of this good word. He's read his book. He's the only human character outside of Garibaldi we know to have read Jakar's book. We don't know if Sheridan sat down and read it. We only know Franklin has, and it makes a lot of sense because Franklin is... Underneath, man. underneath all of his science, he's a deeply spiritual and religious uh, man. And I, I really liked their bond, their their connection in this episode. It's only in a handful of scenes, but they've both been it's here strong. since the beginning of the show. And we get certain amount of scenes between the two of them, but they do have a great rapport on the screen together. And as you said, Rachel, it's it's a it's a strong. Uh, dynamic. What what are the things that you feel uh, help connect these two characters together? When in reality, in the like, we're now over a hundred episodes of the show. They they don't get too many scenes together to connect. But when they do, what mm. is it that brings them together? In which we, the audience, can just see these scenes and buy that they're happening. Yeah, well, we understand the characters as individuals. And the scenes themselves that we do get have such a clear purpose within the stories that we're being told. And the performers are amazing. So it's just another one of those cases with Babylon 5 of the sum is greater than the parts. Well, they, they don't necessarily have the longest scene together in this episode it is just kind of those sort of two bits but they really they really sell it especially Franklin just thinking back on the show Franklin was not necessarily a man who asked a lot of other people necessarily but he's like he's really keen to attend this little um, religious discussion he's like super keen he's he just he really sells it and and Franklin and Jacquard do have that in common, and they are quite quite interested in religion, quite devoutly religion. They both probably wouldn't expect it. I think I've seen or I remember definitely for Jacquard coming into the show, I was actually quite surprised when Jacquard was devoutly religious. I don't remember if I was surprised when Franklin was devoutly religious, but I probably was. Because in the first season, he's all science, and he's mm-hmm. very dismissive of a lot of things, but he has a cool future religion, or like a sci-fi religion of once we met aliens, it opens up the the amount of uh, perspective we have on the world around us, and so would that not change the relationship of faith? And I really appreciate that because Jakar himself, although devout in his specific beliefs, over the course of the adventures he's had, he's had to really open himself up to 
concepts that go beyond the book of Jaquan. Hence, he's writing his own book. And he's been influenced by the Vorlons, but he's also been influenced by the Centauri, and he's been influenced by Babylon 5, and it's all bleeding through into his work. And Franklin, his religion is basically to uh, co-opt and to examine and to study all of these different uh, faiths, including emerging ones like Jukars. So I think it adds up. But one of the things I've not really thought too hard about, but it really hit me in the face with this is Jukar and Franklin have had a bond with one another because they've never asked for anything from one another, but they've provided things to one another. So I think back to Franklin delivering to Jakar the message from the Centauri, emba- uh, from the Centauri Emperor about how they're they're wanting peace, or when the Centauri were making their move to go attack the Narn homeworld, Franklin was the one that told Jakar that, when nobody else had figured it out. And he had nothing to gain from that, but like Franklin has no allegiances no. to any specific group, because he has an allegiance to all groups life. in terms of life itself, and he has a moral compass that's very strict. Rachel... Jakar has had many facets, but is spiritual leader Jakar one of your favorite versions? Yeah, yeah, because it's the culmination of all of the previous iterations of Jakar. Without all of those eras, he wouldn't be where he is now. And what did you think of his uh, his speechifying in this episode? <laughs> I thought that it was really good because it's written in a way where you can understand Jakar, but you can understand why the Narns don't understand Jakar. We've gone through the journey with him. Mm. So when he's giving these soliloquies, these giant paragraphs of text of him still figuring it out because the way that it's delivered and the way it's written is you can tell that this isn't a pre-prepared speech that it's not something it's off the cuff he's he's kind of rambling in a lot of ways but he got asked a question and he's figuring out the answer as he's answering it i mean it's a good scene it's probably it might i think it might be the best scene in the episode and it does it does tie in to because the last episode what we did was the long night the end of the mad emperor and it's like that has a very similar moment this one was this one was less this one was more more sort of casual you know with um franklin shrugging his shoulders is like well that's just the way it is it wasn't quite like the it wasn't quite like the um the end of the long night where they offer Jakar um leadership of the planet. And it's a bit like we beat the Centauri because we were just just too tough and he just like you ju- what have you done? What have you done? What Jakar? have you what have you suffered? What through? have you, what suffered have you endured? And he's missing a fucking eye as they say that to him. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, you just don't get it, guys. And he, I mean it's I mean it even ties into what he was saying at the start of that scene where it's like we're not gonna you know, we we can't be free unless we can laugh at ourselves. <laughs> Last time he was laughing in despair of like, <laughs> wow, they just don't fucking get it. Oh, how how wild! But this episode, there's still that uh, still that despair of they don't get it. But he he's he's far more in tune with it now. He's like, okay, they don't get it now, but perhaps we can get there 
slowly but surely. Well, in the long night, he's like, man, I can't deal with this. I'm out of here. This is the funniest shit right now. Yeah, he's embraced. He's like, okay, they don't get it. I get it. But I've got to, like, you can't just throw your hands up and just, like, oh, it's just too sad. I've just got to walk away. It's like, no, you got to try and help people out. Yeah, he won't abandon them. Truth is a river. There you go. What's God? Uh, the mouth of the river. There you go. Hey, <laughs> he is that uh, that teacher, right, Rachel? That you see in some schooling environments in which the kids just don't get the thing, and so it's like, well, okay, here's the fucking most blunt way of giving it to you. Will that do you? Will that give you the things you need? Because I need to move on. Okay, mm-hmm. I need to move on. Yep, my, uh, you won't figure out the answer. So here it is. But they're trying. That's yeah. the important thing. They're trying. <laughs> but they aren't ready. The Narn still are needing it their way. When he answers that question to begin with, he says, you don't actually want to know the answer to it. Yes, we do. No, you don't. And they don't. They don't want to know it. They just want to be reassured that their values are correct. They want to be reassured that that the light that shines on them is God and that God has looked upon them. And is, is that whole speech about the light is is uh really applicable to the Nans, but they aren't they aren't all the way there. And it's kind of tragic, don't you think, Rachel, that the Nans are a race that we find to be very sympathetic because the war has happened, their their history, we've been told it, and because Jakar and and Talon are both deeply likable characters, and yet they are the ones that still have not progressed too much since we started the show, like the culture itself. Yeah, but they haven't devolved like the Centauri, so it's all a matter of perspective. I guess that's a, a fair way of looking at it. Talking about the Centauri, we have some shenanigans happening. Via is promoted. Via is going to get the job of ambassador to Babylon 5 once Londo leaves, but he's not quite ready yet, Will. He's not quite ready yet, and, and this is definitely definitely highlighted by him getting fast food. Yeah. And Mingbari's, you know. And apparently, like, it ta- he throws it up? They're not biologically equipped to handle fast food, is what Londo says. But yes. he's like, it tastes so good, though. Going down, not so good going up. Were they doing, because the cause Centauri have a big Roman thing going on, and I know this is actually, urban legend's the wrong word, but this is not true. But the, that idea in pop culture that, you know, the Vomitorium. Roman, yeah, the Roman aristocracy, you eat all the food, and then you vomit it back up, and then you eat even more food, mm. you know? Do you think maybe the Centauri are... Oh, do I, that? It seems like it uh, might be their too, kind of thing. And, and it's their thing, too, of they had that line in the first episode where Garibaldi is like, hey, you Centauri look like us, but once we got our hands on your DNA and your biology, you're very, very different. Like, And throughout the course of the show, they've really emphasized that. It's like they have two hearts, they have tentacle penises, they, they have this, 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 and they biologically can't do this, this, or this. And now it's like, oh, they can't handle fast food. Every other race, including the Minbari, can have fast food, but not the Centauri. Come on, Mikbaris with the uh, golden uh, the golden headbones. I like the idea that like the Minbari is like, oh, we've got to embrace 
the the human side of us we share souls so we've got to open our own maccas to like really get into the human thing i see it more like as potentially cultural appropriation yeah of i don't even know if it's like a minbari corporation or they're just using the iconography of it in my eyes it's those drazis capitalizing (laughs) i just thought it'd be really i just assumed it was the mimbari because i just thought i guess in my head i just thought a bunch of mimbari working at a space mac was a funny image yeah yeah it is it is but like who would have started that is it the religious cast that's started like i know who it's the workers it's got to be the working cast it's profit. Mm-hmm. It's people make the burgers, people get, feed the people, you know, and they're the ones in charge of the Grey Council nowadays. So it's got to be, that's the thing too. This is one of the first things we know of Minbari culture that's changed since the workers took ah, charge, yep. is this fast food with Minbari you iconography. Took my point from me. Oh no! As long as you don't reference the fact that communism exists, Rachel, then we'll be fine. Workers of the world unites. I hate the McBarries. Bars. Oh, is that the new place in the brown sector with the golden the, the uh, golden headbones? Yes. We are. We are not biologically equipped to handle fast food. I know, I know, but it it tastes so great going down. Uh, coming up again, it's not so terrific. But well, you'll have to change that. Will, what do you think about Veer as a character overall, and uh, how do you feel about? This being a way of the series positioning him towards an end point, because that's also a part of this promotion is saying, here's where the characters are going to be when we finish up the show. It was a, I really quite enjoy the, probably if I, um, I had to say, it's like, I think you even asked me, was like, was it too much you, uh, too much, like, uh, too much you didn't enjoy about Babylon 5? And I think one of the only things I said, it's like, oh, you didn't get very much Veer. At the end of it, you you got it, you got an you got enough, but I could do with more. And I I think you said I think um Thea's actor was un, unwell during some of the last seasons or something. Oh, he had like a diabetes problems, uh, season four and season five. That's why he lost like a dramatic amount of weight mm-hmm. and stuff, as well mm-hmm. as he was involved in some other projects. He was doing some directing jobs. He was directing episodes of B five, so that may be reasons why he's behind. Like he's behind the camera instead of in front of more often than not. He did the Bester episode, the one where it's a day in the life of Bester. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as the season four finale, so so he also kind of moved into the different product, product like different part of the production of of television. So that adds up. But when when um, when Via first entered, uh, what did you think of him as a character in comparison to now, where you 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 wrap him up? Well, I enjoyed I enjoyed that like Via comes in as like sort of the a bit of a wacky sidekick to Londo, who's already a bit wacky himself. And then we go through of like Veer grappling with severe moral issues, trying to keep his hands clean in a very, very unpleasant situation, and now sort of coming into power and trying to like, trying to like, try and build a more moral world, you know? It's like got to try and use it for good and things. And he's also like, I mean, he sort of saw the contrast with the scene with the Drazi uh, fruit seller. Where he basically says, "Is like you're still the Veer from season one. Fuck off!" And then Veer comes back as like, "Evidently not," with his sword. 
Because it's like season one V absolutely never would have done that. Oh, season one V it was a uh, he had a spine, but he <laughs> was spineless still at the same time. Like he remember when he stood up to Londo for the first time. Rachel, when it was the famous, my shoes are too tight, yeah. but it doesn't matter because I've forgotten how to dance. And the way Stephen first played that was him saying it in a very meek manner in which he's like, uh, uh, Londo, uh, excuse me, but, 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 um, uh, you, 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 you're wrong. Yeah. Now he just straight up says, Long, Londo, you're wrong on this. And he has his own opinions. Mm-hmm. He has his own autonomy, but he's still, he's not meek. He's still an innocent lamb in a way where he still needs to be guided. That's why I really like... Londo's arrogant in this episode, but he's also like a dad. He's like a proud father in which he sees that Via is at the cusp of being able to accept this Mm -hmm. responsibility. But I still need to be his mentor. And I think Stephen first plays that really well as too with with Via in this episode in which he's like, well, I'll go talk to the Drazi. It It should be fine. Yeah. I'm a nice guy. Surely we can just talk this out. Hey, excuse me. Uh, you shouldn't have done that. That's very bad. And then uh, he gets told off by this fucking random draw. Not even like a political adversary. Just no. a random fruit seller guy who shot his shot. And he and he's like, I will swat you. You go away now. You're a pathetic little man. He's like, okay, well, now it's time to play Londo's way, which is just a fuck shit up. And for yourself, Rachel, how does that feel how does that taste with via at the end of this episode having to be like a guy who grabs a sword and wrecks up a local business and like rubs grapes in a guy's face like he, he's 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 a jerk like he, he's less yeah. than his be a jerk how do yeah. you feel about that it makes a lot of sense for the centauri and it makes sense for via he is at the point where he he cracks it and it feels therapeutic because it's not just like he's doing it because he can. It's like he's proving something to himself um, as well as sticking it to the Drazi who's insulted him. Zach, when he talks about it at the dinner table, I love Jeff Conaway's acting during that scene. He really did feel like a guy who's just witnessed this crazy event and he's telling his friends about it while they're having a couple of drinks. I really loved the line deliveries, but in that scene from everyone, but you you know you fucked up when you made Via mad and just John Sheridan be like, I, I don't think I've ever seen Via mad. It's like, no, you haven't. You really haven't. <laughs> he's been nothing but a sweetheart. And you know, look, Via's a moral man. He's going to try and build a better world, but it's like, um, you know... The past casts long shadows, you know, it's like, it's, it's a lot, it's it's hard, isn't it? Everyone has their breaking points, and it's we have met his thing. breaking point with the Drazi, who, by the way, the Drazi, what do you think about those guys, uh, Will? They're so stupid. I, li- I, li- I like that they're pricks. <laughs> yeah. Even 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 in the Arrogance. scenarios where there's there was, because um, it's like, look, man, their shipping lines are getting attacked, innocent people are dying, they're not completely in the wrong or anything but it's like i still like that they're dicks just just sort of just 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 in kind of a bit of everything they're just kind of dicks rachel you wanted erased lanier's love is in this episode lanier is in this episode we haven't seen him in a little while since day of the dead i do believe he's back dylan's sneaking out 
lying to her husband. But she's her saving face. Meaning a stranger in the dark. <laughs> she breaks Guy's finger. Yeah, that's fun. I also find I still find it weird that they're like sitting in an exhaust tube thing. Who linear and uh, a Delenn. shaft? Well, that's her secret little conversation place. They can't meet in the bar. They just had an, a fight there. But what? Okay, you don't like the linear being creep. That's very obvious if yes. you've listened to previous episodes. I get it, but I don't like it. How do you feel about how it was handled here? Because it's prim- primarily yeah, it's... in the conversation between yeah. Linnea and Delenn. It's, 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 it's mostly some... fine. I, I think it's subtle enough in this where it's just... It's just the right amount of uncomfortable. You're like, can you just stop, Linnea? Can you just stop? And he refuses to. It's played so well. Bill Moomy and Mira Falan act this so well. It's it, they've they've every time they've had to touch the issue in the show. These two performers rise to the occasion. It, they play it so subtly, and yet because it is so understated every time, it makes it all the more just, I want to rip my hair out. Yeah, she doesn't want their relationship to change, which has been her perspective for a long time. She's like, ah, I, I saw it coming, but I just didn't want to acknowledge it. I thought if I didn't say anything, it would go away. And she's still acting like that. She, she has to lie to John to do this because she wants to do this. And is she just using Lanier because he is someone that she has always been using? And he mentions that, hey, if I didn't train so hard, if I didn't do all of this stuff, would you have called upon me for the job? And she gives an answer by giving no answer at all. She she just has this expression on her face and it says everything you need to know, which is yes, yes, you doing yeah. all of this. You basically sacrificing yourself for me yet again benefits me yeah. yet again. And I will use this to my advantage because Dylan consistently does that. She uses the tools at her disposal, even when those tools are people. It's not to say that Dylan does not have sincere feelings no. and she does not no. care, but she in her position within her culture and now within this alliance, a part of her daily life is to use people. That's just the truth. She's had to use Chakar. She's had to use Sheridan. That's just the truth of it. And that's what Delenn has always had for Lanier. They may be friends. They may be comrades in arms. They may have been there for one another in their darkest of times. But it's always been a distinct relationship. Yeah. She is the boss and he is the employee. Like always She's in charge and he's... Subservient. Always. And when he runs away, when he says... I can no longer abide by this. It is tearing me up inside. I am leaving. He and her cannot help but somehow bring that dynamic back to one yeah. another. I hear you have been training harder than you should. You should... 
And if I had not worked hard to be ready, would you have called me now for this? Well, it's, um, I said before, it's like, it's an unpleasant plot line, but it's an important one. And I think, I think it was kind of a, a logical direction for it to go. Because one of the, I mean, one of the first, I don't, it's not his first episode. I think it's fairly early on. You know, the one when Lanier and Garibaldi build the motorcycle yes, together. Yes, eyes, yeah, yeah. That one always stands out with me, but I think, and Lanier is still a lovely, lovely person with no caveats in that episode, but it's like, even in that one where he's talking about the, the masculinity of hopping on the chopper and the freedom of it, it's like there Sexual is a prowess. bit, there is a bit, even very early on with Lanier, a bit of a crisis of masculinity, I guess, going on. And I think kind of his role in Mimbari society where he's the... um sort of the very like the very polite very deferential priest kind of thing i think it would be the kind of thing that might foster those sort of feelings where especially i think early on lanier won't even look at delen because she's just so much higher Mm -hmm. in the caste system and it's like i think that kind of thing would sort of fester those sort of feelings and then you get into the fact that you know fall in love with someone they don't love you back this can be the kind of thing where it's like it was a logical direction for it to go, but you don't want it to go that way. And you, it's a lot like Londo when he's doing the deals with Morden and horrible things are happening and, you, and he knows he's making a mistake. We see he's making a mistake, but he just, he just keeps going and it slowly yeah. falls apart. He refuses to alter course. And especially, I'm trying to think to Lynn... Lanier, yeah, I think Lanier does, even if he doesn't explicitly say it, he does realize it's a mistake. Because even when he's with Delenn, it's like, it would be unwise for us to stay in Chad. He understands it's a mistake, and he just, he just like no, Londo, changed. just like with Londo, where you like Londo, and you, oh, you wanted mm. him to just, you wanted him to not make the mistake, and he just sort of keeps going. Especially in this episode, it's not... It's not fallen apart yet. There's still plenty of time to change course, but it's like it's not going in a good direction. You know it's not because when he's in scenes, he's got a big scar on his face, and in his moments with Delenn, he has sharp, contrasted shadows over his face, like he's living in the darkness. Yeah. And the visuals, the are visuals do a good a job. Lot. And Bill Moomy, great performance. I know that he's not a fan of where they take Lanier, but. Uh, he commits to the role even in spite of that, and I, I am appreciative of his performance way more uh, upon our podcasting through of uh, the series. Yeah. What I think really is a standout with Lanier's stuff is in comparison to a lot of other shows that have this in their characters is, let's use like Star Trek or other science fiction of this era in particular, they have these things in their characters. Like, this type of relationship has been in other science fiction shows, but yeah, it's, it's done in a way... Not new. But the difference is Babylon 5 explicitly says what it is and what it is about and how it is bad and probably a toxic mm-hmm. thing that ruins lives and that it's not just Linnea's folly but everyone's folly that's involved. While in Star Trek... It's it's almost like 
it's a byproduct of another thing like, for instance, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which often gets compared with Babylon 5, and we all know why, and we've all heard the tales, so we won't go over it, but Odo, who's the uh, the security chief on, on, on the station, he has an infatuation with Major Kira, yes. and he does horrible, heinous things to try and get it. He holds these... Yeah, to try and get get it, like get anything from her, like a relationship yeah, or sex just, or connection or anything. I just wanted you to qualify it a bit more. Uh, to, to try and get his desires. And he holds a lot of these attitudes that Linnea does, but it's always in that series in particular with with Star Trek 2 with like Voyager with Neelix or or Chakotay it's like they're unaware that that is a part of it it's always framed like that happens but it doesn't matter because they're in love yeah and isn't love a good thing and and Star Trek Deep Space 9 kind of ends with this like this kind of bittersweet like ah oh, Odo and Major Kira didn't get together in the end isn't that kind of sad while in Babylon 5 Marcus when he hears of Lanier's problem, says, yeah, man, that's that's something you should probably let go of because it's going to ruin things for everyone. Like, for yourself, it's like, you can't keep that promise. It's yeah. just, it's just, there is no such thing as, like, this whole, I'm a, I'm, it's not a romantic love. It's a higher love. Oh, no, God. you're fooling yourself. And I, I think, you know, with, with B5, it doing that, is almost like it's breaking the unspoken rule of having these nice guy it, characters of of this era. Babylon Five declares it problematic. While well, us revisiting some of those old shows, we go, "Oh, have you ever noticed that that character is really possessive?" And they and like, did you ever watch Lizzie McGuire? Did any of you watch Lizzie yeah, McGuire? Of course. I think I saw a bit here and there. Yeah, well, I can't. Gordo is a creep. There was like a was there a kid character who was like obsessed with another? Yeah, Gordo, yeah. the guy was kind of obsessed with Lizzie McGuire, yeah. and he's played like he's basically Lanier. Yeah, like he's friend zoned, and then they get together in the movie, and it's just like I like Gordo, I like Lizzie, but the lead up to this relationship is just yikes. And and uh, many shows do do that where it's like yeah. it's, I mean Rachel is there something like that in Gilmore Girls I imagine there must be in Gilmore Girls where there's like a weird romance Marty Ma- Marty's it <laughs> like um he's clearly like in love with Rory uh but she's friend zoned him and then she like kind of falls off with him because he's like. I'm not getting in there. I should just, just bow and take my leave. But then he gets together with one of her other friends. And then when they meet, he's just like, he lies about knowing Rory in the first place. And what about Twilight, Jacob? Oh, yeah, of course. It's almost like these writers, either they don't understand the implications of these type of relationships or they don't even know it at all, yeah. or they don't care because yeah. uh, oh, the whole you know what we're doing. It's idea love. of like the nice guy, or like either the nice guy finishes last, or she'll finally realize that the nice guy was there for her all along, and he's the perfect person for her, and he wouldn't have gotten it if he hadn't waited. But he was patient, and he 
deserves it. He earns it. And Babylon 5 doesn't do that. It tells you up front, this is destructive. It will not work out for either of them. Obviously, we're more focused on the cost that it has for Linnea, but it also costs Delenn. And it damages her relationship with her husband as well. She's doing acts in this episode that she would not do if this relationship with Lanier wasn't the way it was. And that's just the truth of it. She can hide behind the, oh, no, I need him to do a secret covert thing and I'm protecting John from that. No, we, it is a part of this. And, and f- Will, with all of these things said, in your opinion as someone who's only seen the show once through and relatively recently, what is the point of doing this? For like, what is the point of doing this and and attaching mm. attaching it to Lanier? Like, what is the thing that you get out of it? Because most people, like Rachel, just want to erase it because what you get out of it is just it's icky, so uncomfortable. <laughs> What's the, well? I don't I don't want to speak to um, JMS's intentions because it's like I can't know, but it's I think it was just sort of. It was the, I said logical before, but it's like, that's not necessarily, I think it was just the way Lanier's story was going and you had to like, Mm. you had to like, as, because it's, I think it builds up to it and it's like, you've got to, you've got to deliver on it. And then I think it's just, um, I mean, I think it's just a thing. I mean, I think Jameis just wants to be very honest about life and things and it's a bit like well this is with the relationship i set up it's like this is just sort of the way these things go that you know these people needed to walk away from this because it's like it's it's gonna have bad consequences that's exactly what happened it's such a a wonderful magic trick that babylon 5 can pull of making you genuinely sympathetic and perhaps even forgiving of a war criminal with Londo. You like Londo in this episode. There's no part of you that's like doing all of this thing that we're doing for Linnea, where Londo is a guy who's committed several war crimes at this point. Oh, yeah. And yet when he's smiling like a proud father at at Veer wrecking up an alien's business, and he's like, yeah, that's it. That's what our Centauri values are. That's not complicated. We, we, because Babylon 5 has done this, but yet Linnea... Being a bit of an icky boy about a girl he likes, that gets under our skin. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that fucking great? Because you know why? You know why I think it is? Because realistically, that's something we know. On a day-to-day level, we know that. Rachel, you being a woman, you've probably had to experience that with a person before. And me being a guy, I've probably gone through that in a way too, where it's like unrequited love. But like, Will, you've never been a war criminal, and in your life, you've never probably (laughs) had to forgive. And in your life, you've probably never had to wonder, could I forgive a war criminal realistically, outside of like a philosophical experiment? But on our everyday life, Lanier's stuff? Yeah. That comes across my desk. And I mean, rewatching this episode, because it's like when I initially watched this episode, I think I expected that Lanier would get it together, that he would go through a phase of this, but he would come out the other side. And I, you know, but re-watching it, 
knowing what's going to happen down the line it's a bit like oh you know it it has a tr- it has a more has a much more of a train wreck quality than should, especially he's it's like he's so i mean even he can even see a similar sort of problem with Findel going on it's like if you're not doing this for the right reasons it's going to blow up in yeah, your face horribly but he, can but he see just see it in others but he yeah. can't see it in himself when that when he was given oh, the ad- yeah. when he was given the advice i kept saying mirror Pull up a mirror yeah. for yourself and say this to yourself, Lanier. You can say these pieces of advice to others, but you cannot apply it to yourself. If you are doing this because you feel you should be doing this, not because you want to, then your purpose is flawed. The desire to be on the shock must be pure and unselfish. You can't let anything get in the way. The Minbari are having to change. They're having to transition. They are working together with their human human uh human comrades in arms and there is tensions there mm-hmm. i like that about this episode is in in the other ranger stories we have either seen it as like human rangers are just as worthy as minbari rangers and everything's fine or we have league of non-aligned world aliens and that's awkward but even after all of these years even after sinclair is valen and all of this stuff there's still tensions between humans and Minbari working together because not only of history but just mentality there's a human captain of this Minbar of this ranger ship and Fendel doesn't like him he he doesn't appreciate these human ways our traditions have worked for thousands of years so why change it and Lanier says oh yeah yeah well a thousand years thousands of years ago we didn't have spaceships so should we just not use spaceships now like can we should we go change. back home yeah should we just go back and living in caves like what's your point like we have to go with the times and this is a part of it and these humans their ways of doing things are not invalid just because we don't do them and they know that of us as well like it's it's, it's a whole the, the the rangers in part is a cultural exchange program it is <laughs> like i love captain montoya i think he is great we're going to talk about uh, that performance and that actor in our spotlight section but that character is so well written and well realized and an aspect i think goes unsaid in this is Lanier respects him very much but there's also resentment towards montoya because montoya mm. is like sheridan He's mm-hmm. very much like Sheridan in terms of like he's the captain, human captain, and he leads like this and he does this and this is how the chain of command works and he has like that human cockiness yeah. to him. And it's not explicitly stated in the episode, but just there's this air of just unpleasantry between these two characters as well as them being friendly. I, I really like Captain Montoya and I like with Fendel's story about how he's this fuck up that's obviously a fuck up and they're going to let me fuck up all the way to them kicking me out just to prove a point and i hate that so i'd rather kill myself than have to live through the sheer embarrassment of having to be taught a lesson uh rachel we haven't been big fans of the the rangers in the past when we've had episodes or more stories focusing in on them so what did you think of this? And did having Lanier be one of the actual people as a point of view help things in any way? Yeah, yeah, it does. Because it allows you 
to understand Fidel a bit quicker, I think. Having Linnea there to highlight certain things as well as that highlighting stuff about Lanier himself. And I'm always just like, how did how did Fidel get to this point? Why were there not more checkpoints? <laughs> like, it's like, why is this the point where the rangers figure out that somebody needs to be there to stop people from joining for the wrong reasons because the Mimbari have the whole thing about the calling of the heart and all of these other things so it's just like what has stopped them from doing this before how much of it is just ignorance how much of it is is just oversight but they're a military organization And sadly, we see in the real world, as well as in a lot of narratives, we did Space Above and Beyond, and this was extensive in that show, is they're willing to look past some of the shortcomings of recruits because they're bodies, and we need that for our force. Mm -hmm. And that check that you're talking about, that's this episode. He's checking them out. I love Montoya when he says, oh, Oh, you worked with Sheridan and, and Delenn? Oh, that's great. Like that's that's impressive stuff. Like obviously you're you're flying aces, but I will treat you the same as any other recruit. You will not get special treatment. You don't get to skip this stage of training because you've been in battle before. And although I may not be able to teach you things that they can maybe there are some aspects of Ranger life that they don't know that I am aware of. Montoya as the captain, uh, Will, you mentioned that you may have forgotten his name, but you remember that the ship was named after uh, uh, someone in his life. Well, let's go over that a little bit. What do you think about how this scene really emphasizes the the difference of humans in comparison to aliens and that even in the far-flung future we just have this inherent need to personalize a thing it's always been in human history that ships gets na- get get names and they're often women they're often like her and he names the white star what was it like it was just a number like white star 34 i think it was like white star 2070 he's like that's not that's not a good enough name for a ship he's even put it on the side you know <laughs> yeah so you know it's just like you won't find it on any records but it's the maria named after my sister where is she she's with god and then walks off. Uh, but well, what do you think about uh, this uh, touch in the narrative and, and this character overall of the human ranger captain? Yeah, no, I really enjoy. I really enjoyed the way um, the actor performed it. You got the you got the the devil may care attitude, and also the I'm a hardline military man. But it's like oh, I've also got I'm a little bit I've got a sense of humor as well. I'm a little bit funny and things. And yeah, I do like the I do like the tension that's going on because when Lanier asks who's it, na- where is your sister, and um, uh, he tells her that uh, she's deceased. It's like um, Findel even has the um bit after Lanier says it's like, oh, if you're asked an impertinent question, and Findel almost has the thing that he's probably picked up on. It's like, oh no, no, the captain likes impertinent questions. You got to ask. That's the only way to get um proper information, which uh, you don't get the impression of the Mumbari. 
that you'd ever ask impertinent questions in uh, the Mumbari's command structure. No, no, no. And that's, since, that's a sure way to get demoted. And if since uh, since Findel's been fucking up so much, you know, he has to really be keen to get that one in there. It's like, oh, I picked up on the. I got to ask impertinent questions. You know, picked up on that one. Findel, he gets sent back home, Rachel. Because he has a new job in life. He has to make sure of what you are asking. You have to check people to make sure Mm -hmm. that they are actually up for the task. And that's a good idea, but how fucked up is that? Like, this guy spent years, probably, training to be a ranger, only to be found out that he's not good enough, and you're going to spend the rest of your time looking for other people who are not good enough because you'll know because you aren't. But... It is a way to use his drive to make a positive impact because he knows it's a mistake and how much that could cost other people. So he's he's still serving the Rangers, just not in the way that he thought he would. Oh, Will Garibaldi is drunk again. Uh, He's entered that story arc in which he is boozing it up. He wasn't even in the episode, and then the episode's like, hey, where's Garibaldi at? We haven't seen him all episode. Hey, where's where's he at? Where's our good friend, Michael Garibaldi? And he's getting his own dinner. He's getting a suicide pizza, which sounds delicious, by the way. Like, he listed all of the stuff on his suicide pizza. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. I would have a suicide pizza. It does sound like a good pizza. Uh, we've had a few episodes now end with, oh, by the way, Garibaldi's drunk on the floor. And I like the drunk Garibaldi arc. Like, I find it very compelling. But I'll say this. JMS, buddy, friend of mine. I mean, we're not friends, but uh, JMS, season five, for some reason, you end episodes the exact same way several times in a row. There's going to be other things in season five. I was like, oh, and he ends it like this. What's happening, man? Yeah, like, I get it, the Garibaldi stuff, you've already communicated it, I don't need it again, but, like, I appreciate it, but also, like, so many episodes end with this, like, and Garibaldi's drunk on the floor, and that's this episode, it's like, and Garibaldi's drunk on the floor. I'm was like, he, was it just the year of television he's worried, it's like, oh, I've got to chuck it in there a few times, people might miss it, people might miss an episode like, here oh, there. It, it, it's a one-off thing that'll tie out. Mm, but no, you're probably right, Will. Since you're here, uh, what are your um, feelings about Garibaldi in the fifth season in which he's in such despair over the fact he can't get that cathartic revenge against the series-long antagonist of Besta, so he decides to turn to the bottle? Well, Garibaldi's another character who's going in B5, is going through the my life is falling apart kind of thing, where he's like... he's. Hopelessly, he's hopelessly dry. Has he committed the bombing at this point? I can't remember where he bombs the psycho building on Mars, you know? No, that no. That hasn't happened yet. No, so that so is... we're building up to him falling apart. Yeah, so with that, that's more like Lita's stuff, but he's like, eventually he teams up with, with Lita to do stuff against the Besta, but at this point, he's just getting drunk and sleepy a lot. I mean, we got to keep in mind, you know, he... He went keeps through on a, singing a, about wanting to go to bed. A horrible uh, neurological <laughs> alteration and like betrayed one of his um, friends. Man, it's like it was a. It, he's probably in pretty good condition, just being 
uh, hopelessly alcoholic at the minute to be all things considered. That I mean that is He could be it could be worse and it's not great. Oh, and especially for him it's it's heartbreaking because he has since the beginning been a recovering alcoholic and we have seen him slip up once before in season one, but in between then and now he's been on the straight and narrow even in spite of all of these things. And it's about the fact he can't get the ability to unleash all of this anger, he turns to destruction of himself, as as stated. Because he can control that. So where is Garibaldi? I haven't seen him all day. I thought he was going to come. I sent him a note. Perhaps he didn't get it. It's getting pretty thin. So we better start talking about an actor or actress that appeared in the given episode go over their performance, any interesting pieces of trivia, as well as things they have starred in. And we are going to be talking about the actor behind the role of Captain Enrico Montoya. And by the way, I love how how he says all of his lines. He just has this real flair of like... You have fun with him. He has this line delivery of, yeah, I'm the lead character of the show. Haven't you noticed? Like he really plays it like, yeah, it's my story. By the way, it's it's my story, and especially, you should have known that. <laughs> especially, he didn't have too many lines or too many scenes, but he's like very memorable, very memorable. He's a very specific look, and and the way he holds himself. So the actor is uh, Richard, and I I I can't I don't know how to pronounce his last name because when I looked it up on the internet, how how to pronounce it. Every source of how to pronounce it, there were people saying, that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> so please forgive me for butchering this, but Richard Wainiñez, which, again, people are like, it's a Y. You have to say Y, not Yai. So, so please forgive. But uh, Richard has been in uh, a few things, but I've already given some of my opinions on, on the performance. I really appreciate and love how funny he is. He's a really funny character. <laughs> like he's, he's delightful. Do you, wouldn't you agree, Will? Yes, yes. I really liked, I really liked, I probably shouldn't say it again, but I will. I really liked the, like, I'm a hard-ass military man, but I also, you know, doing my own way, but it's also like a you know, real funny thing. And it's like, you know, the bit where he's, saying super hit serious it's like we're going on an easter egg hunt today had to imagine that like after they got out he might have had a good giggle at that it's like because it's saying that that way i really liked how he explained the easter egg hunt and about there are 39 of them now there's nothing wrong with a with a bit of competition and he is just so much relishes in that in that yep. fucking line delivery and this guy, uh, he's so charismatic. Uh, there's just a certain magic that actors have on the screen in which they just light it up. And he, as soon as you see him, you say, oh yeah, this guy is a captain of a bunch of ninjas in space. I completely buy that. Like, you never doubt it. And with the Rangers no. or any sci-fi show, there are those people where they walk on in with the makeup or the hair or the outfit and you just sometimes you get the oh I'm watching a show for dorks. <laughs> but and I've gotten that from the Rangers before. I, I find the Rangers to be particularly dorky. And it worked because Marcus was a dork. So it's like, okay, Marcus is a dork, but also he's incredibly sexy. Captain Montoya, I'm like, all right, I would watch a show with the Rangers because they seem legitimately badass because he seems legitimately like a badass 
space captain, but he's like quiet and and he and he's reflective. But when he needs to bust balls, he knows how to bust them. Were there moments for you, Rachel, in the performance or the characters' scenes that uh, you uh, gravitated towards? I. It all fairly evens. It all kind of evens out. Like it's all just really good. Um, but the moments where he, the character, is delighted in what he's doing are particularly enjoyable. Let's go over some aspects of this uh, actor's career. So he has been at it since the like early 70s and he finished up in film and tv around 2015 from what i could tell does not mean he's not still acting out there i did have a look he's on some social media sites and it seems like he's just kind of chilling out uh for some business stuff it seems like uh, i'm not a hundred percent but he's had a, a long career a lot of one and done roles, not too many ongoing gigs and just a shows. little bit over a hundred acting credits, like one hundred and seven, I want to say, acting credits. And Will, would you be surprised? Actually, I want to, I want to hear from you, Will. What type of character do you think he plays the most? What type of character does he play the most? Because like, that'd be hard. Because in this episode, you might think heroic, charismatic. Mm-hmm. Big tough guy, big boss guys, but it's like maybe he, he worked not. from like the seventies mm. through to the noughties. Through to the twenty tens. Twenty tens. What kind well I think if it's like if that's what he played in this, maybe that was not what he usually played. Maybe someone maybe someone meek and mm. minor, maybe like a just sort of, just sort of little, little roles in maybe service jobs, maybe in okay. playing characters doing service jobs. That's just my guess. If you had to guess, like, okay, let's boil it down to this: what type of career do these characters play a lot? Like, so was so- he in any westerns? He'd do well in that. He'd do okay, really so well in that. Cowboy stuff, yeah. That's I, a good I could because I mean, he was sort of a space cowboy in this. It's like I could buy that very easily. Well, I'll reveal it. He plays a lot of authority figures. Mainly, oh sheriffs, sheriffs, cops. There so we go. I actually didn't notice if he's done any westerns, but he's done a lot of like cop I'd shows. Watch like that. if you look at his IMDb profile picture, it's him in the most copy cop outfit ever, where he's like got the button up shirt, the tie. He's got his holster on his side. He's got a big phone next to his ear. He's at a desk, like a, a typical like desk you see in a precinct, and he's like yelling on the phone or whatever. I'm like, yeah, he plays cops. A lot of cops, a lot of military roles, a lot of he, he's that type of a, stuff. Like a, a a father in terms of being a priest, a couple of times too. And and also he's played a lot of roles that are either you know Hispanic in nature or Latino. Uh, he's played a lot of characters with names like Jesus or Enrico Montoya and stuff like that. And so he's had to play, I guess, uh, a variety of uh, ethnic roles in which it's like, hey, you have this certain look, so we need you for this type of character. And so he's had to do many things. So he's done it all. Like he's done the eight. Team. He was oh, in that. Okay. 
to related to Babylon 5, he was in Scarecrow and Mrs. King, which was Bruce Boxleitner's TV show before Babylon 5. It was like his crimey show. And that was one of the reasons they wanted Bruce Boxleitner on, because Scarecrow and Mrs. King was a big show. And if we could get the lead guy from that, that would bring people in. He was in Hill Street Blues, which was what Londo was in before Babylon 5. Mm. Uh, He was the resident snitch in that show who would come in every now and then and so this actor was in hill street blues which by the way never forget one of the head writers of hill street blues was the guy who mark frost who went on to do twin peaks so that's Mm. a piece of fun and babylon 5 has some twin peaks people from time to time he was in macgyver will the iconic macgyver and uh he was in a superhero property he was in the Flash TV show. As well as the Incredible Hulk. That's correct. He oh, did okay. both of those things. Uh, Rachel, were there any others that left out to you? Things that you've seen, perhaps, or things that you are aware of? He was in Bonanza. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hawaii Five O. Different Strokes. Dynasty. Zorro. Where he played three different characters. Yeah, that's that's the that's the life you live when you're like a supporting actor. Days of Our Lives. Only in three episodes of that. Yeah, uh, CIA Miami. CSI Miami. Oh. CIA was a different Miami. Yeah, but uh, he was in the Shield. Law and Order. Dead on the money. Oh, okay. Uh, he was in Murder She Wrote. Yes. Do you want to know which episode of Murder She Wrote? Of course I do. I'm so happy. It's an iconic episode of Murder, She Wrote. It's a late episode. It's like season 10 in which she's a famous writer. Everyone knows who she is. She lives in New York at this point. She writes on a laptop instead of a typewriter. And this is the episode in which Jessica Fletcher, you know, Angela Lansbury, is introduced to the concept of VR. So you see her put on a big VR headset and solve a crime through VR. It's very iconically silly. And he's the cop in that episode. It's like, hello, Jessica Fletcher. Could you put on this VR headset for us and solve a crime? Like, it's very silly. He's in Midnight Caller, which is a television series that Gary Cole was the lead in. And Gary Cole would eventually be the lead in Crusade, the spinoff series of Babylon 5. And... Yes, you said it, Zorro, but I'm I'm really wanting to talk about one particular role. Hit yeah. us, hit us. Uh, it's called Carmen, a hip hopera. <laughs> he was yeah. in a he was in a movie starring Beyonce, who's Carmen, and it's a movie <laughs> in the early two thousands. Well, called Carmen, a a hip. Hopra. Hopra is one word. A obviously it's a hip hop opera. And I was so fascinated by this. It's very low rated. The Beyonce fan base don't talk about it. <laughs> I looked that up. And it's just a bunch of like musicians, like rappers, hip hop artists. And it's a it's like a cry it's a classic, like, you know, oh West Side story, crime story, opera, where it's just a bunch of music from all of these musicians and he's at, he's in it as an actor mm. and i just i i i had to bring this up because i love these strange little things where it's like what is this when you hear the title you're like a hip opera oh, oh someone's got to be beyonce's in this 
No one talks about Beyonce's acting roles all that much, but she has a really, really weird catalog of work too. But I was unable to find out much about this actor's life outside of what you read on IMDb. Like, there's not too much in my research. I don't know about you, Rachel. No, his LinkedIn has that he's like the CEO of a production company. Hmm. Uh, his personal website is linked to a empty MySpace profile. No. Um, and that was about it. And like on LinkedIn, he and his Instagram, he was promoting that he was attending like a car show. Yeah. He's been doing a couple of those, and it's just like, hey, bring your CDs and DVDs and magazines, and I'll sign them for you. I won't put it on his record. I think we took care of that problem as best we can. But I know. And you should learn one very important lesson. Never, ever assume that no one can listen in on a private channel. Hmm? <laughs> uh, on our scale of yum being bad and yum yum being good, I want to hear from Will. Meditations on the abyss. Where does it fall? Will, yum or yum yum? Look, it's definitely not my favorite episode, but I'm going yum yum. Yum yum. I have to agree with Will on this. I'm yeah. giving this a yum yum. Yum yum. It's not a like high yum yum, but it's a solid yum yum. Yum yum. We need to hear what we'll be talking about and watching next time on Babylon 5. On an all new Babylon 5. On the next Babylon 5, episode 15, Darkness Ascending. Command says one thing, his sense of duty says another. Lanier disobeys orders, commandeers a vessel and risks his life to obtain holographic proof of Centauri involvement in the shipping line attacks. That's it. There's no other plots in that episode. It's just, no. it's just all linear, it's apparently. Just all can, can, linear. Can, that's the DVD description, but can I read another description? It's called My Description. Mm. Darkness Ascending. Lease returns. Yay! We love Lease. <laughs> we all love Lease. Everyone celebrates as Lease returns. Ah, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us yet again and coming on to discuss Babylon 5. It's a, it's a, it's the an, an end of an era, too. I mean, this will be the last time we get to talk to you on the pod about B5, so I am so glad that you managed to chew through the show and watch it all and come on to the podcast a couple of times before we wrapped up our own watch-through of the series. And now imagine our struggle, Will, of having to watch all five seasons once a week Ah, <laughs> that is hardcore. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's like, that is hardcore. I couldn't have kept up I with that. Could, I mean, it's it's tough stuff. We're saints, Rachel. We are saints. People can can support our sainthood. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the church, we accept donations. Uh, our favoured method is Patreon, where you you actually get stuff from us in exchange for that money, not just some vague instructions or a blessing. You you get the divine 
content that we deliver over there. We have so much content. We are going through uh, The Expanse for the first ever time. We have not seen it before. And so if you want to hear those episodes right now, we are chewing our way through that. We are midway through The Expanse as I speak right now. So you should come on over and listen and be a part of our group Discord. We we talk about so many things there, Star Trek, Babylon 5, The Expanse, and just whatever's happening right now. If you have not rated and reviewed the podcast on your podcasting site of choice, you should. It would mean the world to us as well as follow us on the social medias or any of those podcasting sites you do use. We're on all of them, including YouTube even. We're on YouTube. We have the YouTube channel. People drop comments on there. It's a fantastic time to be had, so don't miss out. Feel free to suggest our podcast to any of your friends, family, or foes. And a real big thank you for listening to us, for giving us your time, and for hearing us talk about Jakar's spirituality, which does get in the way of him saying a farewell that he used to say, but he no longer does. Is that our last gasp of breath before we (sighs) open the door? To get fresh air before we suffocate to death, we must say a hearty good Good eating eating to you. you. Good eating to you, Will. Good eating to you, everybody.